for joining us today on Open the Word with Circle of Friends. I'm Missy. And I'm Gwen. And, you know, last time I was around this table, Gwen, it was just me and Beth. Now it's just me and you. So <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a table and we love it when we're all together, but it's also enough because scripture tells us that, right? Where yep. two or, or three. three are gathered. So uh, it takes two. Mm-hmm. And really, you invite Christ into your presence when you're with him alone. And that has its own special sweetness. So we're not knocking that either. But when you talk about doing life and you talk about some of life's tough questions or just the things you run into, it's so helpful to have somebody else that has Mm. a Bible open or knows the word or can, you know, study the word with you and look into it with you to kind of really settle your mind on these things and keep you focused and going in the right way. The Mm -hmm. thing I've noticed, and I'm sure in your counseling, you've seen this over and over. It's so easy to get off track. Yeah. And not just others, but me. Yeah. I find myself thinking, wait a minute, is that really scriptural? Is that, is that really, is that really right? It sounds right in my head, but I also have culture and the world and my own thought, you know, all those things speaking into you. So I feel like especially the tough questions. Yes. You know, the ones we really don't, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting in the pew and the pastor opens the Bible and says, we're going to talk about submission today. And your heart goes, ugh, you know, (laughs) those kinds of things, tithing, um, you know, you name Mm -hmm. it, whatever those hard things Mm -hmm. are. Um, Confessing our sins. Yes, confessing our sins to one another. Or healing broken relationships or all kinds of things. Forgiveness, perseverance, Joy in the midst of trial and suffering. Repentance and confession. You know, this has never, this has never been an easy path. And I think North American Christians have turned that around to make it like one of convenience and ease. Mm. And even, you know, you think of the prosperity gospel where, you know, you accept Christ and suddenly everything's wonderful. That's not what scripture teaches us. No, it actually demonstrates very clearly that those that chose to follow Christ chose to partake in his sufferings. Yes. And that life went from Hmm. whatever it was to bad to worse <laughs> yeah quite frequently and th- honestly it's been that way all the way through history um the church actually grows in seasons of intense persecution which is something that we don't like to talk about yeah um i will never forget my first mission trip missy where um i was in south africa with staff who had just gone through the apartheid, all of the adults had been that generation that Mm -hmm. were college students during the apartheid and all of the um, Nelson Mandela arresting and, you know, or getting out of jail and and the country literally working to make amends because of all the racial tensions and stuff. And, um, And they looked at us, and I will never forget the comment that was made. He said, you know, there's a big difference He goes, we look at suffering, and we don't pray that God Mm -hmm. gets us out of it. Mm -hmm. He goes, we don't look for an Mm -hmm. escape because we know it's reality. He goes, we pray and ask God to help us to be strong enough to make it through it. Yeah, that is so true. And that is, I I, I can remember, uh, I think we were like in a a prayer group years ago, and, and Ned saying the same thing, that we were praying for missionaries, but and we knew it was difficult. They were in 
persecution and their, the people were being persecuted. And he was like, we're not praying that God lifts this. And I remember kind of the shock in the group. Like, <gasps> like what? <laughs> it seems so wrong. It seems so wrong. And not, you know, it, it took him a minute to kind of catch up to the very thing you were saying. Yeah. That that persecution is something that is coming to us. Mm-hmm. Christ tells us if we follow him, I mean, the world hated him, so it's going to hate us. Yep. And honestly, if we are matching our lives and our words and our actions to Jesus Christ in the word of God, we are going to be saying something different than the world's saying. Yeah, exactly. And the world can't take that. Yeah, and, and scripture tells us if you're suffering for doing wrong, what is mm-hmm. that? But if you suffer for doing yeah. right, this is what brings glory to God because that's that's the that's the thing that we're, that's the sacred calling. Yeah. S- something that we cannot do on our own. How do you rejoice in suffering? How do you rejoice when, when there's logically, you know, humanly thinking nothing to rejoice about? That goes beyond ourselves. Uh, you know, then, then you're walking in the spirit yeah. realm. Um, you're walking in the spirit because it's the spirit who helps you do that. So, and it's absolutely true. If you look at your life and you don't see any differences between you and the world, there's that's a problem. That's a problem. That's yep. a problem. I mean, we really need to be radically different from the world around us. Well, and if our theology has moved to in- embrace what the world has told us we we have to embrace in order to be loving. Um, and here's the thing, the world doesn't get to decide what is loving. I, the world doesn't really know what love is, is and that's the truth of truth, it. Truth. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, because the world is being driven by as someone who is about stealing, killing, and destroying. Yeah. Who hates humanity. Yeah. Who is about enslaving it, abusing it, taking advantage of it, and stripping it of all of its worth and its value. You know, Scripture says that Satan is the father of lies. And, and he's, the father of this world. And the father of this world. And it's also described as a, as the appearance of angel of light. And mm-hmm. I believe his greatest deception is drawing us in to those lies and making us believe, you know, and something that is partially true but not wholly true is still tainted with lies. And that is what's damaging because yeah. an outright lie you would stand against. But something that sounds good and even feels good and you Mm -hmm. see truth in it, we, you know, we would grasp onto that. And we do. I mean, that's, that's the absolute truth. So you, I think spiritual discernment is so, so important. The other thing I think, and we've talked about this for years in the circle of friends, is is accountability. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I align myself with the body of Christ, and particularly a, a local body of Christ, a portion of the church, really what I need to be doing is putting myself in accountability to them. Unfortunately, we don't really understand what that really is or what it looks right. like. Um, it, this, is, this is not to bash each other. It's not to judge each other. It's to help one another stay strong and stay on that right path that we talked about. Well, and it's helping us discern what that path looks like. Yes. You know, because, how do I put this? But I can't always see my crap. 
Boy, I can sure see yours, though, can't I? Right. Yeah. But yeah. it might be more obvious to somebody else than it is to me because I'm living, feeling, breathing, yeah. eating, and sleeping it. Yes. And we and sometimes you just don't have perspective when you're in it. We sometimes also, it's so easy to justify what we do or yeah. minimize our own sin while judging others' sin yes. as worse. And, you know, a good example of that in, in my own life um, you know, my husband was a pastor, we were in the ministry, and he had a moral failure. Uh, and it was easy to see his sin, I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. But guess what? <laughs> I had sin too. And I had to confess my anger that got dumped on him. And so sometimes we, and, and the point is that sin, even though I didn't have a moral failure, I had sin in my life that needed to be dealt with. And that sin was just as serious as his, mm-hmm. even though it's possible that that had more earthly consequences. Understood. And we don't like to talk about consequences either. We don't. Either we go way out there and say, oh, you're done. And I and people told him that, you're done. You you are no longer qualified to do anything. Go mm-hmm. sit in a corner, yeah. sit down and shut up, basically. Because you're done. You've, you've just... You've lost the right to you, have the privilege right, of right. leadership and, or whatever. And you'll never, you'll never be whatever. Yeah. Or clear to the other one oh we love you everything's fine we don't need to go we don't need to deal with this we're just going to cover it up Mm -hmm. we're just going to pretend it didn't happen neither one of those are right they're not healthy first of all but they're also not biblical I don't Mm -hmm. believe I mean I think about Paul like in his letters to the Corinthians I mean the reason he wrote to them was because the church was in sin there were there were issues there that were sin in the church and, and one very specific one that even the world by wor- the world standards in the city of Corinth they were appalled at, and so to some extent even it was affecting the testimony of the church in town, um, and of believers. And so you know, with Paul, huh, with Paul, one of the things he talks a lot about is that how we live our lives, our testimony, adorns the gospel or it destroys the gospel. Um, in the perception and um, eyes of a non-believer. And so with Paul, he talks a whole lot about the importance of obedience mm-hmm. um, and submission and some other things because of um, what it communicates. Um, you know, when we don't live a life that matches Scripture, we are... Um, we, we destroy the gospel. I mean, we, we give it a foul stench yeah. um, instead of adorning it by our lives. You know, mm. our lives can display, um, can display the gospel like a setting of a diamond. You know, the gospel is precious. Um, and by gospel, I mean the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us and that it is because of his sacrifice that we have access to heaven. And that it's not about our own works or our actions, but how we live our life in response to the gift that we've been given. Um, really, oh, how do I put this? It, it's it what it's what goes before the gospel for an unbeliever. Yeah, y- yes, because that is what they're looking at. And I, all right. of us have heard somebody say, "Well, Christians are whatever." And they're whatever they see and have experienced. Mm-hmm. The thing, here's the thing. God has made a way for us when we sin to redirect our course. Be restored, redirect our course. I mean, 1 John 1, 9. It, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to, to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. So 
And it also goes on to say, if we say we have no sin, then we've lied, and the truth is not in us. So there's First sin. John, yep. We all, we all got to deal with it. But, but again, and I'm speaking through experience, because I've, I've walked that path of restoration. And what happens when you uh, confess your sin, you're made right before God. If mm-hmm. you, you truly repent and confess your sins, and repent means to do a 180. So you, yeah. you turn from doing what, you're, what you are doing, what the sin is. And you turn your back to it, and you walk the opposite direction. You walk the opposite direction, and you follow God. Um, and the amazing thing is, if, if you do that in true humility, God uses that as a powerful testimony of what he can do in someone's life. One of my favorite verses is found in Second Timothy, and it's in chapter 2. Uh, verse 20 says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Mm. God can take us who really are, I mean, we're told in Scripture, we're, our, our sin is as filthy rags. We are mm-hmm. worthless to him. A righteousness. A, a righteousness. Yeah, a righteousness. Yeah. So that, yeah. And because of our sin, our righteousness. Yeah. So there's nothing in us that is inherently good, right? right? Nothing. And nothing we can do about it. We can't even clean ourselves up to make ourselves The heart is presentable. desperately wicked. It's, yeah. it's a done deal, and it's a bad situation for mm-hmm. us. It's Christ who came, who became our righteousness. He came for us. He, he died in our place as the sinless son of God, and he took all of that on himself. We still will deal with the old nature. We're still struggling with that, right? Yeah. And I honestly, that is one of the reasons I think why we really need to understand accountability and we need to understand consequences and truly understanding how we deal with others who have sin because yeah. we we don't seem to get it right. I see churches either beating, you know, covering beating, it up, covering or, it up, or beating a uh, you know a wounded Christian down. I mean, like mm-hmm. it, 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 we don't seem to know how to restore. We don't know how to seem correct. You know and what I'm saying? We also follow the blame shift that happens a lot of times, and you know, turn certain things into a he said, she said that should never have ended up as a he said, she said. Yeah. You know, because the first thing somebody's going to do when caught, especially if they're not owning it, is that they're going to accuse or attack or turn the turn the the light on somebody else. I mean, if we go back to Old Testament, you've got a beautiful example of comparison between uh, King Saul and eventually King David. Um, David's confronted for Bathsheba and his sin with her, and uh, Saul is King Saul is confronted for not obeying all of what God had commanded him in a certain battle. Um, he was told to not save anything. Um, and that he was, I mean, and God was very specific about what he was supposed to do um, and what he was not to do. And when he was confronted, um, the interesting thing, difference between the two, is when David's confronted, um, he's re- confronted with a story, but when he's told you're the man in the story, he immediately walks in humility. He immediately takes a knee and says, I am. 
And and we get Psalm uh, 51 out of it. We get, you know, and that was a national hymn that would have been saying over and over and over. And, and what we need to understand is that David's repentance was tangible, it was humble, and it was constant. Mm. It didn't wane. It didn't shift. He walked in that humility from and, there on out. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. Correct. Because he repented. Correct. And he recognized who God was. Right. Which, and, and think about David's life. From a young boy, he worshiped the Lord. Think of all the Psalms. I mean, think of all the, his dedication to God through yeah. all of this. And then he falls. Mm-hmm. But when he's confronted with his sin, it's as you said, he immediately, yeah. he immediately repents. Yep. And, and walks in humility. He owns it. He yeah. confesses it. And he, Yeah. Um, let's go back and look at 15 um, of First Samuel chapter 15, um, because I want to look more in depth at, at the pattern that Saul follows, because honestly, I think this is what's at play in the church at large and in society today. Um, I think we just see this over and over and over when and whenever anyone is confronted in sin. And so very few, very few walk in David's shoes. Most follow the pattern that Saul sets out in chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am uh, the one that the Lord sent to anoint you king over your people Israel. Listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy them and all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death the men and the women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, today in our day and age, we would, we have trouble with this, don't we, Missy? Oh, yes. Because, you know, we have this compassion uh, context that we sometimes want to map on Old Testament. But what you need to understand in this passage is that Saul was being chosen to hand out the sentence and the punishment for the crime that God was bringing judgment down on. Um, and so think of him like um, the police officers that carry out the judge's commands. Okay, what if a man is sentenced to life in jail and the police officers decide, eh, meh, I, we don't have to secure him all the way on the way to jail. You know, if we stop, we can go get some ice cream. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know what, he's got some money on him and he wants to go to, you know, a movie on the way. Oh, sure, let's do it. You know, it, it, here's the thing. The, that's ridiculous. The police officer is going to carry out the justice and the sentence that the judge gives. Well, this is the Lord, the just judge, who is asking or telling, sorry, telling Saul that he is to do this consequence. Okay. Well, Saul summons, and we're in verse four. He summons the men and must um, mustered them to Telaim, two hundred thousand foot soldiers and ten thousand from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalekite and set ambush in the ravine. Now it sounds like he's doing exactly what he's supposed to, right? Then he said to the Kenites, "Go away and leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you." showed kindness to all of Israel when you came up from Egypt. So the Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. 
near the eastern border of Egypt. He took King Agag and the Amalekites alive, all of his people, and totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and fatted calves and lambs and everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry. And he cried out to the Lord that night. And early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul and he did as he was told. Samuel had gone to Carmel and there he set up a monument in his own honor. Saul had gone. Yes, Saul did it. Sorry. (laughs) Goodness sakes. Saul had gone to Carmel and there he set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel reached him. Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So, I mean, I honestly, the audacity of Saul to think he pulled one over, first of all. <laughs> and to think that Samuel, who hears the voice of God, is not going to know what he's done. And, you know, maybe he's got himself so deluded I, that he thinks he followed out God's commands. It, that is possible. I mean, and uh, he seems very proud that he... Right? Yeah, but it's it's obvious... It's obvious the pride in him and the arrogance at this point, right? Exactly. Absolutely. He does not think he's done a thing wrong. Um, verse 14, let's pick up there. Missy, you want to read for a sure. little bit? Uh, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Okay, that was confrontation number one, and that was lie number one. But (laughs) I have it marked that way in my in my thing, you know. And and what he's done here, what has he done? He's justified it, right? Yeah. So we've got justification. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I love the next verse, verse sixteen. Stop. (laughs) I mean, Samuel just says. Stop. You, stop. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? There's confrontation number two. Yep. And here here's his response in verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, said Saul. <laughs> I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. Mm-hmm. And you can see him starting to distance himself from God here, yes. which is very key. But this is also his second. Now, I want you to notice in this one that he blame shifts. He blames the soldiers for taking the sheep and the cattle. But he's the one that commanded that. Um, you know, then he's also he's also justifying why they took it. So there's more justification. And now we've got some blame shifting I'm not responsible. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, picking up in 22, and Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Okay, this is the first consequence, just the first taste of consequence. Let's see how Saul responds. Verse 24, then Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instruction. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, that I may worship the Lord. Okay, so did you pick up what he did in that passage, Missy? Yeah, he, first of all, it's an out and outright lie. He's afraid of the people. Right. He's the one that gave the command. He's the king. So why is he afraid of the people? He was not afraid of the people. He made that decision all on his own. Right. So we have very limited acknowledgement. He's been caught. He knows he's been caught. So he gives in to what he knows he can't fight, right? This is is right here is called partial admission. This is not a full, this is not humility. This is not a true repentance. This is, oh, shoot, I got caught. So let me admit just a smidge of it, okay? So we have a partial reluctant admission here. Okay. Now, the second part of this is verse 25. He's saying, now I beg you, forgive my sin. Come back with me that I can worship with the Lord. So in other words, he's recognizing that he's going to need Samuel's help to get back in God's good graces here um, and that he can't do it on his own. And he's wanting to be forgiven by Samuel. But Samuel says to him in verse 26, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Consequences number two, same consequence told to him again a second time. Um, As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and tore it. Samuel says to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie nor change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. All right, here we go. Saul's reply. Number three, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in uh, Gibeth, Of Saul, and until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Mm. Um, I want you to kind of see here, even in the very end, Saul's concern is about his appearance before his people. People, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So you you can see confrontation. This is an order of confrontation with consequences delivered in. This is actually a beautiful example of how you confront somebody who is not walking in humility. This is how you confront somebody and recognize whether or not there's true repentance. 
True repentance does not look like this. It doesn't blame shift. It doesn't partially agree with some of it, but not all of it. It doesn't minimize. It doesn't try to cover. It doesn't pretend that everything's okay. It acknowledges the full extent of the consequences. Hmm. And so, you know, maybe for our next Monday, we can look at David's and contrast it to Saul. Um, Because with David, you have a totally different response. Um, and I think these are important to do because, quite frankly, we are in a world that does not want to take accountability. Mm-hmm. We want to hide from it, pretend, rewrite history. We're doing it all over the place. Um, it's kind of some of the earmarks of narcissism, actually, um, is rewriting history and, and, you know, going, well, that's not what happened. Um, owning as little as we can and making ourselves look good again. Um, and finding things that make us feel better so we can forget that we were awful for that moment. Um, and so this is the narcissistic wound. And honestly, I think it's something that has invaded at the Garden of Eden mm. and it continues to hold sway over human humanity. Um, and so, I don't know, I guess to leave us today, you always go to verses that ask you to search or ask the Lord to search us because we start with ourselves before we ever work outward. Mm. Um, And so verses that come to mind for me are, Search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. A Psalm of David's, I'm like Yes, Psalm 51. Um, Yes, and so Psalm 139 also talks about how the Lord searches us out. Um, And so those are a couple of places to start. But start first and say, Lord, would you show me if there is anything... Um, that I need to bring back into alignment with your word. If there is truth that I'm not living consistent with, if there is sin in my life that I'm treasuring, um, holding on to, um, feeding, you know, allowing to grow and take hold in my life, show me those areas, Lord, and help me. Help me to extract those and bring them into obedience with you. Bring my thoughts there too. Um, because our thought lives are one of the most undisciplined areas of our lives. Um, anxiety, this is going to be a hard statement to end on today, but anxiety is literally worrying about something that's in the Lord's hands. Um, and so whether you want to consider that sin or not, you might want to. Because anytime we want to take something out of God's hands and try to fix it, solve it, worry about it, chew on it, fret over it, aren't we taking something out of His hands? Um, and so, you know, even our thoughts can hold sin that we don't realize. And so bringing all of that into accountability and not beating ourselves up over it, but understanding that we're sinners, Hmm. we're sinners. And at the end of the day, we're all sinners at the foot of the cross. And apart from Christ, our righteousness is filthy rags. So I'm just understand and take a deep breath because welcome to the family of sinners that are redeemed that have hope because of Jesus Christ. That's where we are. And to understand every day that we can approach the throne of grace boldly because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I'm going to leave you there for today. And remember, don't take our word for this kind of stuff. We we heartily and wholeheartedly encourage you to open the word of God for yourself. You are able to read and glean, and it's what teaches us truth. Um, It's where truth can be found. It is our anchor. It is something that does not change. So hopefully you are inspired to go open the word for yourself today. Thanks for joining.
Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.